0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. We're going to continue in the book of Revelation. Uh, We are looking at the fourth letter that has been written that Jesus told John to write to the church of Thyatira. Thyatira. And in this letter, God commands us to love him With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? We know that that is the greatest commandment. And the church at Thyatira did many of these things right when it came to pleasing the Lord. They were a good church. They would have been on one of the top ten lists, probably, of churches that are doing good things. However, they loved people A little too much. And their love led them to look past some of the sins of the members. Churches and Christians must not let their desire to show love to one another cause them to water down the doctrine and lose their convictions. Look, I am all for us loving one another and loving people and showing love with actions, but we cannot, should not, and will not compromise What the word of God says, because true love, if you truly love somebody, you will tell them the truth. True love shows the truth and will be revealed as truth when Jesus returns. So here's Jesus's warning for us in our scripture today. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read this passage, Lord, this is a church much like any other church, and we can find pieces of ourselves in each one of these letters. So, Lord, may the reading of your word come back without any blemish, Lord, and may it not return, null or void, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Just a little bit of quick background about this letter. This letter that John wrote for Jesus to address the church at Thyatira was in the middle of the seven letters. And of the seven letters, it is the longest letter that John wrote in this section of Revelation The city of Thyatira was the smallest and really the most least important city of the seven letters that were written to the seven different cities. And also, there is no real evidence that the Christians here really suffered because of persecution. They had it it pretty good. So, if Thyatira had any noteworthy attributes about it, Throughout history, it would probably have been its economy with its business and trade, which has been proven through technology. Now, they have found actually in archaeology on digs, they have found inscriptions that have been found in the city of Thyatira and the city surrounding it, proving it, that it had what they called guilds. You might know them more kind of like they were like unions. In other words, Each different, like blacksmiths and coppersmiths and and people that sowed and people that, that mined, they would all have their different guilds that they would be a part of. And by looking at the Bible itself, we can learn about the trade and business at Thyatira. And so as we look, we see they had many active trade guilds and Unions within the city. Now, each guild would have a God that represented them. So, for example, if someone wanted to work or start their own business, they would have to be a member of this guild or of this association to practice their trades, whether it be potters or tanners or weavers or robe makers or dyers. It was actually the center of. Thyatira was the center of the dyeing industry, in other words, of coloring clothes and coloring cloth. And each guild, again, would have a god that represented them. when I say god, I mean little g. Each, like the, the coppersmiths, would have their god that they would pray to. And the, the people that worked with the metal would do the same thing and so on. And so the thing is, is those guilds would look to their god for authority for guidance and strength and their meetings would be held at the temple of the God where they would have animal sacrifices and they would take the animal the meat from the animal sacrifices and they would eat that. So basically that they had an unholy barbecue. They would bring their sacrifices to their God, again, with a little g, not the one true God. They would bring their their sacrifices to their God, then eat the meat at their meetings. And then the thing is about Thyatira, there was immorality everywhere. Many of the gods they worshipped would be known for their sexual immorality, which gave license to those in the guild to practice sexual immorality in their meetings so i want you to get the 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 gist here they would have their their guild meetings or their for lack of a better term their union meetings and when they got there they would worship incorrectly they would eat the meat that was set aside for sacrifice and then they would bring in temple prostitutes Yeah, temple prostitutes, they would bring them in. And when I say temple prostitute, I don't mean God's temple. I mean the temple of the God that they were worshiping. And so they were having parties. I don't need to go into great detail about what went on. You got that, right? And so this was going on all over the city. And now among the city, there were The Christians, there were the people of the church. And then they would be have all of this stuff around them. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, some of them that went to church were probably part of those guilds. So if they didn't go to those worship services, and if they didn't partake in what was going on there... That could mean that they are ostracized. That could mean that they are put out. It could mean that they don't have a license to do the work that they do. So what happened was, was that soon and very soon, the pressure of all of these guilds and all of the immorality that was around, there were some in this church at Thyatira that began to partake in what everybody else was doing. Now, I know this sounds like a big history lesson, and you're like, go ahead, preacher, get to the preaching. But my friend, let me tell you what, is that if you look around our world today, we may not have guilds, but we do have immorality all around us. And there are some members of some churches that they look around and they say, well, everybody's doing it, I might as well do it myself. And so the thing is, is that the church was showing love to all of their people. That is not a bad thing. So what in the world would Jesus want to call them on? You see, pagans can raise their hands and sing as well as the most devout Christians. And the problem we have today is it's hard to tell the difference between somebody that goes to church on Sunday and lives like you-know-what during the week as opposed to somebody who just lives like you-know-what during the week. When there starts to be no difference, when the the behavior and the words and the patterns are all the same, things start to degrade because our culture has traded one true God, one true God we have traded for a golden calf, or we have traded for many other gods that suit our needs. And we give them false authority that they do not have, and we give them unauthorized permission. So let's jump into the scripture. The first thing we see in verse 18 of chapter 2 is that Jesus reminds Thyatira of his authority. Of his authority. He says to them, write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Again, angel is a messenger. It was probably the pastor, some type of leader, some type of mouthpiece, somebody that was influential in the church at Thyatira. And he says, this message is from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire and whose feet are like polished bronze silver, or like polished bronze, excuse me. And the thing is, is that what we see here, Jesus does not shy away from who he is. You can tell even as how he introduced himself. This introduction is not a random introduction. As a matter of fact, when it says, this is from the Son of God, eyes are like flaming fire, This was written to the church in the first letter. The son of God is a name he used for himself. That means authority. And if you had the name son of something, that means that you have some kind of attribute of your father. For example, James and John were the disciples called the sons of thunder, which means that they were very bold. They were very boisterous, must have been just like their dad. And so, Son of God means that Jesus is claiming the attributes of His Father. And when He says, eyes are like flames of fire, I want you to understand that He is ready to redeem the church and to judge those who reject Him. Jesus is not coming back as a suffering servant, my friend. He is coming back as the King of Kings. And then when it says His feet are like polished bronze, means he is immovable, he is indestructible, and he is unchanging. And of all the metals that were around in that day through the refining process, bronze was one of the purest of metals. So we see all of these things giving attribute of what Jesus is like. So avoid the tendency today to soft sell Jesus to think that His work was completed for our own selfish desires. Jesus died for us so that we could live for Him, but He didn't necessarily die for us so we could be comfortable and do whatever we feel like we want to do. You see, the very Scripture that you water down today, the very Scripture that you look over and ignore today, will be the very same Scriptures that you are judged by at the great White throne of judgment. The second thing that we see is that Jesus gives a description of the right things the church was doing. These are things that churches should do, and they were definitely uh, commended by Jesus for this. We see that what are the right things a church can do? Well, the first thing is works, the things that you do. It says it right there in the verse that we just read. I know all the things you do. We are known by what we do. A church will be known for their words, but they will be defined by their actions. Somebody might say this or that about Homeland Park Baptist Church, but we will be defined about the way we act to our community, the way we act to one another, and the way we act to this world that is around us. Because a church that preaches Jesus but doesn't represent him outside of the walls of a church without works has a problem. Here's the thing. I want you to understand this. You are not defined by the name of the church. You are not defined by the name of the church. Look, we can get some T-shirts made. We can get some license plates made. And we can get some pens. and, And that'll be great. And I'm not, I mean, hopefully one day we can get some of that stuff because I think it's cool. But the thing is, is that we are not defined by the name of the church. We define the church by our actions. Big difference, isn't it? So we see works is one thing. Demonstrated love. The church at Thyatira was, in fact, the only church that Jesus even told him was doing a good job of loving others. Because having love for others is paramount for every believer in a church, is it not? Because here's the thing, though. Love is not accepting someone's sin. Love is loving them enough to help them deal with it. I believe the technical term for someone who says they love someone but doesn't want to help them get better, I believe that's called an enabler. I think that's what the, the professionals call them. Is that, if, you know, you've seen it before. You've seen that, that, unfortunately, that family member or that friend or that person, that they keep going back to the same family member because they know that family member will give them whatever they ask for. And it will keep going down the rabbit hole and getting worse and worse off. Because they are saying they're loving them, but they are giving them the very things that is causing them harm. We don't need to do that as a church. If we love people, we're going to tell them the truth. And then we'll see that Thyatira's love for others was their downfall. They had faith. Their deeds and love are motivated by Christ. They had service. They, they showed patience. So the church was heading in the right direction and moving in so many ways, but there was a rift that the church was about to experience a spiritual earthquake. So here it comes. I gave you all that background earlier to bring you to what we're reading right now. Allowing sin is no better than committing it. Allowing sin is no better than committing it. Revelation chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 says, But, and some translations say nevertheless. In other words, despite all of this stuff that I told you, he says, I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Now some of you that have some age on you, You probably heard your parents or grandparents call somebody, oh, that's just a Jezebel. Well, that's, some of you young people have no idea what that is. But maybe you'll learn in just a second. We're all about learning today, right? But it says, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and eat food offered to idols. That's what we said was happening earlier at those guild meetings when they were in the temple of the gods that they worshipped. And it says, verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn from her immorality. Okay, this Jezebel that Jesus is talking about, Jezebel, this Jezebel was a self-professed Christian woman in Thyatira that claimed to be a prophetess. She claimed to be of God, and she was seen as a leader in the church because of her unusual gift. And so what happened was she came in, she said, I'm a prophet. The church said, "Okay, we must listen. And then she started spitting some false theology to him. And then we see the church gave her a platform to spread her false doctrine. Folks, hear me now. Be weary of people who self-profess their spiritual authority when their platform conflicts with God's Word. If someone says that they have been anointed by God and they're giving you a word from God and that God has given them a special vision, you need to make sure that it lines up with the rest of God's Word because there are plenty of people that have said that, that have led people, unfortunately, to sin and even their death. Matter of fact, Jesus warned us that that would happen. Matthew 24, 11, he said, And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. So here's the thing. The rest of the church either followed her or they ignored her without objecting to her presence. Folks, in order to expose this woman's true character, she was labeled as a Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was probably not her name. But Jezebel, if you go back and you read in 1 Kings, Jezebel was the name of the Canaanite wife of King Ahab that led the king to worship Baal, which was her false god. And so she said, dear honey, my my." My husband, my king, I want to worship this false god, and I want you to worship him, and I want you to make everybody else worship him. That's what Jezebel was doing. And if you remember that passage, God sent a man named Elijah to go straighten her out. False teachers want as many as possible to buy in to their false messages in order to give them their power. So here's where the problem began. As I said earlier, the church members were being invited to these parties. If they wanted to work, they had to be a part of these associations. The pressure to become just like them was too great. And now they had a prominent woman in their church that was seen as a leader that was telling them it was okay to partake in the sexual immorality. It was okay to partake in the sacrifices to the gods. Other than the one true God. So it wasn't everybody in the church. It was a small group in the church. But here's the issue Jesus had. He said, look, as a church, you love everybody, but you're letting them do these things and you're not correcting them. You are allowing them. You are compromising yourself. So, see, God demands Both love and sound doctrine. The church had love, but their doctrine, their convictions to scripture did not match. We see that when false teachers and doctrines are discovered in a church, they must be removed. Look at what happened in verse 22. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering. And those who commit adultery will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person. And I will give each of you whatever you deserve. Here's the hard truth here. Is that sometimes when we sin... Sometimes when we allow sin, God will allow us to reap the consequences of that sin. In other words, he says, okay, big boy, you want this so bad? You got it. Okay, big girl, you want this so bad? You got it. And you're going to go through a lot of mess because of this. But I promise you that when you go through that, although it's punishment and unpleasant, I'm going to be with you all the way when you decide to repent. Look, without getting into a whole lot of details, sexual immorality does have physical consequences. It does have mental consequences. It does have spiritual consequences. And sometimes they, people just, God allows them to live with that so they can see their need for Him. And Jesus deals with this Jezebel. Notice He deals with Jezebel And those who followed her, he calls them adulterers. What does that mean? That means, first of all, some of them were literally committing adultery. They would go to the meetings, have their fun, and then come home to their wives. But they were also adulterers because they were giving their heart to God. They loved God, but they were going to these other gods and committing adultery on God. Remember, folks, God is a jealous God. He doesn't want number two in your life. He doesn't want number three, four, or five. He doesn't want just Sundays for an hour. He wants your whole life. He is a jealous God. And he will do whatever he can to get your attention. Some of you, that's why we're here today, right? Well, we also see that in verses 24 through 29, that we must stand strong until Jesus returns. He says... But I also have a message for the rest of you, Thyatira, who have not followed this false teaching, the deeper truths, as they call them, the depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come to all who are victorious, who obey me in the very end. To them, I will give authority over all nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father. And I will also give them the morning star just to let you know when it says I will give them the morning star. Jesus says, I will give them myself because Jesus is the morning star. So, folks, we as a church must stand until Jesus returns. It's not going to get any easier Persecution is on its way. But Christians can overcome. Let me just tell you something, and I'm talking to myself too when I say this. When we get a bunch of our Christian friends together, when you're sitting with all your friends that, you know, when we used to go out and go eat together, when you're, when you're talking with your folks and you all start complaining, and you and I will start complaining, oh, this world is getting terrible. Oh, this is awful! Did you hear on the news that this happened? Did you see that this happened? Did you see that so and so got elected? Did you see that so and so lost? I just don't know where God is in all of this. That is the worst thing as the church we can do. That would be like somebody, you know, a fireman pulling up to a a house on fire and saying, "Oh my goodness, what are we going to do?" Or a police officer going, oh, "I don't know what to do." Or a rescuer, turn rescue a swimmer. Well, I guess I need to jump in there. I don't know. When the church is sitting here, what are we going to do? Everything is so terrible. Look, I know things are terrible. But what we see here, that in the end, we win. That Jesus is in control and we need to start talking like it. We need to start acting like it. And we need to start believing that if the Bible says it, that's what it means. Because the minute we start compromise in our lives, it will build over to our families. And it will build over to our churches. And it will build over to our communities. And before you know it, we will be the next Thyatira. Those who stand for Jesus, he says, will overcome. Jesus promises that those who stand will share in his kingdom. And he also says, the greatest gift you will receive is me, the morning star. So as we conclude today, I would say that I would encourage you to take inventory of your life. I would encourage you to take inventory of your life. Are you leading others to sin by the way you talk? By the way you act? And the way you influence others? Is your love for others causing you to water down your faith and conviction? Or is the fact that you've allowed sin into your life, is today the day you need to repent from? Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you may give Satan a little foothold today, but that will be the foothold he uses to beat you down to a pulp. If you don't repent of that. Stand strong, my friends. And you will be rewarded. You can love others, but love them enough to stand for Jesus' truth. And true love does not compromise. Jesus' love compromised nothing for you, so you should compromise nothing for Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for our time together this morning. And Lord, what a great warning to us as a church And as Christians, it's to not let areas in our life slide. Not to let convictions, not not let our love for others cause us to go weak on your word. Lord, you have given us your word for us to stand on it. We will be judged by it. It is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and living. It is active, living and breathing, and sharper than any two-edged sword. May we affirm our faith in you today. May we drive ourselves to the scriptures and live according to them. And if there's anyone in here today that has been convicted by something that they need to repent from, something that they have allowed to come into their lives, may today be the day that they repent. Maybe today will be the day that they've never received you, that they will come to know you. Maybe today will be the day that Homeland Park Baptist Church will be all that you want us to be. Not allowing anything to go on that is opposed.